Welcome back to Let's Talk About God, episode 40. Ready to get in a fun little topic today. I'm excited about this one. Last one was uh, was dense, was deep. We hope you enjoyed that one on the uh, inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. But today I think it's going to be uh, is going to be a little bit lighter, but really, really good. You got anything to say on it? Um, yeah, you kind of caught me off guard. Um, right now we are starting our podcast and he is texting somebody. Can you believe this? Parlons de deux. I don't know what that is. Let's talk about God in French. (laughs) (laughs) You got ahead of me there. I was going to be ready when you do. Okay. Let's talk about God. Parlons de deux. That's easy to say, isn't it? Oui, oui. (laughs) Je parle en français en peu. I was trying to just Monsieur. like talk because I knew you were Texan. That's why I just everyone listening. That's why I just gave you the worst, he most awkward filler. opening. He was I, doing filler. Today's topic's going to be good, and you're going to love it. And the last one was good, and I'm just he's still typing away, and I'm like, let's see if we can make this work. You thought I was over here doing some great momentous decision, <laughs> some major ministry thing, and I'm over here trying to Google <laughs> Translate French. English to French. Parlons de deux. Everybody oh. repeat after me. Parlons de deux. <laughs> Let's talk about God. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, man. I don't even know spicy. how to transition to this. Keeping it spooky and spicy, folks. Well, I feel like we're very divided right now mm. because of how we started this. But if we could unite and get focused here, we could really focus on this subject. That was okay. I, you know, that's all right. I've heard better, as good as anything good. you've ever done. Oh no, yours are like cheesy and desperate. Yeah, they are. <laughs> That's why they're beautiful because <laughs> they're cheesy and desperate. Today we are talking about unity in the body of Christ. Yes, unity in the body of Christ, which I think is really good. We were talking about this earlier. We don't know if this is still going to be going on when you hear this. My vote, I would put down lots of money that it is, is that America is pretty divided right now. Do you say you bet? I don't, mean, not in like a serious way. I'm not start, actually You're gambling. speaking metaphorically. This is metaphorically. Okay. But if the opportunity presented itself, <laughs> <laughs> who knows what I'd do. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we don't know what, what's, what's happening in America right now, but my guess, how about that? Is that America is a pretty divided place, and um, and in, in occasions this uh, this makes its way into the church. You know, everybody's arguing: should we open church up? Should we not open church up? Should we mandate masks? Should we not mandate masks? We've got uh, division in politics, which is nothing new, but there it is. Everybody and their brother has an opinion on Facebook. Uh, it's just one of those things, or like it just kind of feels like tensions are high right now. And so we thought it might be a good episode to just talk about being unified in the body of Christ and everybody else is kind of fighting each other. Don't you think? Uh, no, I think you're spot on. I mean, it's, 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 people are tense, people are stressed, um, and the church is supposed to be obviously united in Christ, mm-hmm. and, and usually our union and our togetherness is one of those calming, unchanging factors during turbulent mm-hmm. times, and obviously we want to keep that. We, yeah. want to, we want to keep that, and things like Facebook and Twitter have not helped things because people get on there and share, and I know my wife um, 
we were laughing because she just checked. I don't know how. Anyway, she got word that I guess was on Facebook. Uh, they were they were two former members of my of this church. They don't mm-hmm. go here. They haven't gone here in a long, long time. But they they just kind of got into it about one of these issues, mm. societal issues. And boy, the next thing you know, it got kind of heated. Are you are just sitting there like eating popcorn, going, "Not my problem." <laughs> well, I mean, it's just that's the point. Is that's when we're allowing, yeah, societal extra extracurricular issues to bring division mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about today is that should not be happening yeah is that we should we should always rise above that because of who we are and our connectedness through jesus christ that's right tra- it causes us to transcend mm-hmm. what goes on in this world we can have opinions and thoughts and views but we never let it come in we shouldn't unfortunately it happens but in the church and mm-hmm. between brothers and sisters yeah i agree well, 30-second definition. Give me your definition of unity in the body of Christ. Um, union and harmony among God's people built around our common faith in Jesus Christ and our common salvation. That's good. I like that. Thank you. That's really good. Thank I made you. one up. I said the united and common pursuit of the church to love God and neighbor in thought, word, and deed. I like that, too. Yeah, that's Yeah, here we go. Mine's better, like but I mean, I, mean, I thought it, it was, is, but or you might think yours is fine. better, but... Hey, uh, just as always, we're going to take you through the Old Testament, and then today we're really going to hang out in the New Testament, but we still did want to give you kind of that background of the Old Testament, and then we're going to kind of camp out in the New Testament, and today's going to be a lot of Bible, a lot of actually looking at passages rather than just some sort of short quotations, and breaking down specifically what the New Testament has to say about unity in the body of Christ. But let's start with the Old Testament. The centrality of Jewish faith is the oneness of God, especially as professed in what's called the Shema. Um, and it's Deuteronomy 6.4, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so the sort of calling card and uniqueness of the Jewish faith is that they don't serve a bunch of different gods. They unite around serving one God with one purpose, with one way of living. Um, there's be one set of laws for both Israelites and foreigners. Numbers 15, 16 says, one law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Um, so there's kind of this unity of purpose and way of living and life and what's right and what's wrong. Think about this. God's ideal for marriage is faithfulness and unity. They're called to be one flesh in Genesis chapter 2, 24. So even uh, sort of the most fundamental uh, uh, relationship of humans, especially between male and female, Genesis 2, 24. God's ideal for the family is unity as well, which we kind of see in marriage, that there's supposed to be a marriage between man, one man, one woman. There's supposed to be one flesh, and then they're supposed to have children, there to be a family. There's supposed to be unity. Um, humanity was to be unified, especially since they had a common language. I think we kind of forget about that. I'd love to hear what that language sounded like, by the way. But at the Tower of Babel, they all spoke one language, and then God was like, oh, boy, this is bad. They're able to just like gang up together and like really sin, like really work together and do some bad stuff. So he had to actually confuse their languages. Um, but that shows the, the, the vision for a united humanity. And then finally, the prophetic vision of the Old Testament is God's future is for all people, Jew and Gentile, um, to be united again. Zechariah 14.9 says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. 
on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So we kind of see already from the foundations of the Old Testament that God's desire, both for Israel, for the marriage and the family, and for all of humanity is to be united under just one one name, serving God, working together, loving one another. So as we look, as we move into the New Testament, which is where we're really going to camp out today, the New Testament, especially in the epistles, actually addresses unity and disunity more than we would think, specifically in the works of the Apostle Paul. But we'll look at John and James and a few others there. But let's talk about the source of disunity, kind of set up the issue, set up the problem before we talk about the solution and how we are to live. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, 1 through 4, we see just general spiritual immaturity. Uh, Paul says, uh, and, and the Corinthians are a very divided church, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it, and even now you're not ready. Imagine being a grown adult and your apostle, the man who planted your church, is having to be like, hey, um, you guys are still children. Like, I taught you, I poured into you, and y'all are some babies. You're a bunch of babies. Bunch of babies. So spiritual immaturity. Um, selfish ambition and conceit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, um, Paul encourages us to be of the same mind and in one accord. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So really kind of thinking way too highly of ourselves, thinking, you know, only caring about ourselves and our pursuits. Jealousy and covetousness. James chapter 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You ha And then he kind of goes on, you do not have because you do not ask, all these other things. So jealousy, covetousness, wanting what other people have. And then finally, man, this is one of the biggest things. Well, this is not finally, but almost. Racial and cultural differences, such as the situation with the Gentile widows and Acts, in which they were kind of being ignored and weren't given the food and the things that they need. Or the issue with the Apostle Peter and the Judaizers, in which the Apostle Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, but then these Judaizers came in and he stopped hanging out with the Gentiles. What we see in in the, the New Testament particularly is that Jews and Gentiles, and we could throw in Samaritans, hated one another. And so now as a church, they're trying to come back together and figure out how to live together as one united people. And so they're kind of button heads. There are some problems there. And then finally, actually finally, um, division comes from sinful and heretical men, such as the heretics found in First John, or um, I don't even know how you say his name, Dio. Diotrephes, 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 and Third John, and others. And I'm sure you, as a pastor, have had to deal with some Diotrephes and others who have come into the church and stirred up division among the people. That sometimes it's not just um, quarrels between families and friends. There's kind of a ring leader who is mm -hmm. sinful in nature. Yeah, I have. Um, but yeah, so there's all kinds of sources of disunity in the church that ranges just from spiritual immaturity to uh, very much sinful desires at heart to racial and cultural differences trying to work together to kind of ringleaders hopping in a church trying to 
stir stuff up. And I think we've all kind of seen these things play out in every in our everyday lives. Yeah, a couple more I'd add is in the Corinthian church, you had some that said, well, I, I follow Paul, and others said, well, I follow Peter, and then others said, well, I follow Apollos. And then the really spiritual one said, well, I don't follow any of them. I follow Jesus. I follow Christ. I follow Christ. <laughs> and so yeah. Paul said, you got all these sects or divisions mm-hmm. within the church, which means there was not unity. Yeah. So when we're in camps, that creates division mm-hmm. and then... And, 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 and hinders unity. Um, I think another one is the partiality and favoritism that James dealt with, mm-hmm. and his is that we show favor to one group of people and partiality to one group of people. And you say, well, we wouldn't do that. Well, is your church all white, southern, and middle class, or all white, northern, and middle class, or? white, urban, or middle class, or is it black, urban, and lower class, or middle class? In other words, a lot of churches are very homogenous, and, and some of it's cultural, but sometimes it's it's internal. Yeah. That it's, we just, we only want our kind here. That it could have been diverse, yeah. but they stamped it out. Right. Yeah. And so you're, it's, a, it's a cultural issue and within the church. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, the jealousy that comes, I didn't get my way. How many mm-hmm. times does that happen? I didn't get my way. Churches have split over the picking of a color of carpet. Crazy. <laughs> we we want blue, we want green, and I, we didn't get our way, we're leaving. Mm. And and that's very selfish. Yeah. You know, selfishness will always hinder mm-hmm. unity among a group of people. Yeah, there's, I agree. There's to be some sense of sacrifice and... Um, a desire for the greater good. And I think to just kind of put in perspective how dangerous disunity is, I mean, at, at the root of sin, after Satan you know, deceived Adam and Eve, now Adam and Eve were at odds. They were at unity, but now Adam's blaming Eve, then Eve is blaming Satan. So there's problem in their relationship. They're estranged from God. They're separated from God. That at kind of the root of sin is this division. At the root of sin is is um, racism and, and different things like that. Like we said in, in the New Testament, you see um, the, the Jews and then the Sadducees and then the Gentiles all hated each other based on their culture and their race and, and everything that they did. They didn't like each other. That, that disunity is not the heart of God. It is a direct result of sin. You would not see this about in the world if it weren't for sin. Well, even the Apostle Paul, who obviously was a mighty man of God, had division with Barnabas when they had taken John Mark on the missionary journey, and John Mark, I guess, decided he didn't want to do that. He left them. He he got on a ship and went Mm -hmm. back to, to, to Israel. And so Paul and Barnabas come back, and they want to go back again on their second journey, and he's... Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's like, no, I don't want to take that cat with us. Yeah. He bailed out on us. <laughs> and and they they said the tension and became so great that they separated. Mm-hmm. So their their mission team was divided, and Barnabas took John Mark and did his own thing, and Paul took Silas and Timothy and started his own endeavor. Now, we know later on they actually kind of made up. Well, he did. And later Paul... Paul said, you know, tell John Mark to come. I need him. And, and that, you know, Paul realized he was wrong. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing is sometimes we think we're right, and sometimes we realize later, hey, I was yeah, we wrong. Got this one wrong. Got this one wrong. I got to admit it. Yeah, I agree.
Well, now that we see kind of the, the source of disunity, which is ultimately sin, but then plays out in all of these different ways, let's talk about unity, unity in the New Testament. Let's talk about the, the source and, and, and really the basis for our unity. So we'll start with the Apostle John, because we've only got a couple references, and then we'll really just hang out with the Apostle Paul for the rest of the time. So in John seventeen twenty one. We have got Jesus's high priestly prayer, and Jesus prays for his disciples and for us that we should be one as Jesus and the Father are one. So Jesus bases our unity on the relationship between the Father and the Son. And if you've ever read the Gospel of John, you know over and over and over again, Jesus is basically saying this, me and the Father are one. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I've only come to do what the Father wants me to do. I've, I've come from the Father. I, I don't just testify of myself. The Father testifies me, testifies of me. If you know me, you know the Father. If you know the Father, you would know me. Like The whole Gospel is just this, this close-knit relationship between the Father and the Son, and he wants us to kind of live out this relationship now as Christians, as Christians serving the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in this unity. And so just as Jesus did not come to do his own mission, preach his own message, do his own thing, him and the Father are one, and so we're supposed to be one in, um, in, in, in mind and in action, just as the Father and the I, Son. I think this John 17 passage is probably the most critical passage to what to this topic mm-hmm. today. Um, and when and when I read it, after reading John fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, and I get to that last part of seventeen, I have mixed emotions and mixed thoughts because it almost seems, and I say this all humility and respect to God. It it almost feels idealistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It, it feels like oh, this is just this is ideal. And I guess it is. If God's what God wants, it's it's perfection. And then I look and my heart's broken because I'm th- thinking the church is not unified. Yeah. And I wonder how much this breaks the Father's heart mm-hmm. because we're not one. And and yet, maybe we are more than we realize because I'm thinking about Christendom and all the different denominations. But He said that I am in them, and you are me. You know, He said that we. And I think the unity revolves around the fact that Christ dwells in me. Mm-hmm. So if Christ dwells in me and Christ dwells in you, then we are one. Yeah. And what I have seen is that you, obviously you have people that are nominal Christians and they, they Christ isn't in them and and they're not living for Jesus. That's where a lot of times the carnality and the sinfulness, that's where you see the disunity. But have you ever noticed when you get a bunch of people filled with Jesus— who are allowing Jesus to control their life and live through their life, how much unity you can have and how much can get done. The churches mm-hmm. that are growing, the churches that are that are visionary and missional and reaching the lost and making great strides mm-hmm. are the churches that are unified. Yeah. And it's because everybody's saved and, and they're – they're all the Christ in them, the spirit of them is moving them forward in the direction of what God wants, not what we want, but let's go after the mission of God. Mm-hmm. So do you think that there um, can or will be greater unity in the church at large? Can Just there regarding, be? Yeah. 
I, I doubt it. I'm just being realistic. Mm-hmm. I, I just think because we've focused on our differences more than what unites us. And and then again, if you if you're a nominal Christian, you can say all the right things, mm-hmm. have all the trappings, but if you're not really born again and then we start talking about being evangelical and reaching the lost and fulfilling the Great Commission and let's work together and and um, and and it's all about a greater good and there's a vision above uh, that's above beyond us and what we can get out of it. That's when th- 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 it starts filtering out mm-hmm. the people that are really true, truly in Christ and joined together. And those carnal, selfish, spir- unspiritual people are going to go, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. You yeah. know what can I get out of it? Yeah. What what can I? How much is this going to cost me? Mm-hmm. Usually, those are two things. Very selfish. I think, I think that I don't know why I'm talking about this, but just I don't know. I think that that there is a hope for the church to unify, not in the sense that like there will never. I don't believe there will ever be like one church, like one Catholic church, ever again until heaven. But I do think that there's a way in which certain events in our world will bring us together around certain things. So, for instance, we can walk in unity between us and our Presbyterian and Baptist and Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters over uh, abortion and a pro-life stance, that there are – there are certain events and moments that will help to bring us together even though there's much that we – that we disagree on, that maybe it's now about perception and focus that, yes, we do have a lot we disagree on, but what can we choose to unite on regardless of what we disagree on? Yeah, issues can bring us together, whether or not relationally and doctrinally, I think that's what I was thinking more of. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there'll be that union. Yeah, I agree. uh, Because, again, unfortunately, we've allowed what differentiates us to divide us Mm -hmm. rather than find out what unites us yeah so many times as we uh kind of finish with john we see in first john chapter 2 9 through 11 that if we walk in the light and the common love of jesus then we're we're going to have to live that out whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother it's still in darkness whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness he does not know where he's going and because the darkness has blinded his eyes so there is this this reality that if you are a Christian, truly and honestly, you are in the light, walking in the light, and you have to love your brother and your sister. It's just how it is. There's no other option, really and truly. Well, John said, how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen, but you hate your brother whom you have seen? Exactly. So if there is contention, uh, and hate's a strong word, but if there is that contention between someone in the Mm -hmm. church— but yet you want to claim to be so spiritual and in tune with God, you're a hypocrite. Yeah. I mean, you've already discredited yourself. And and God said, if you're going to love me, you're going to love my children. Exactly. And you're going to be unified to my children. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly the case. It's, it's, it's evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as we move on to the Apostle Paul, this is where we really— we get so much of our content on unity. Um, first is this— why should we be in unity? Because Christ didn't please himself, but looked to love his neighbor, Romans fifteen three. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He loved his neighbor. He went to the cross for us. Uh, second thing, it glorifies God when we're in union with one another, Romans fifteen five through 6. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance or in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It leads to glorifying God when we actually live together and work together. But now, as we move into Ephesians chapter 4, this is like the pinnacle of unity in Paul's writings, in in my opinion. This is like the unity chapter in which mm-hmm. it's all about. If you read Ephesians, the whole book is about God's plan of salvation, which is really uh, uh, about God bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one family and one body. And so Paul usually starts with doctrine, then ends with uh, practical. And so this is sort of that transition section moving into his practical. But as we look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, 3 through 6, this lays it out. I'm going to read it, and then we'll break down the basis of our unity. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So what do we see? Why should we be unified? We have one Holy Spirit living in us. There's one body of Christ that we're joined to by the Holy Spirit. We have one hope of salvation that Christ is coming back for us. We serve one Lord in one kingdom. He is our king. We have one faith, one thing that we profess and believe. We've been baptized in one church community. We're one new family because God is our father. We serve one father who's the father of all Christians. He rules over all, works through all, and lives in all of us. So just think about that. Paul is just naming everything that we have in common. And he's like, look, like if you're a Christian, this is who you are now. And he's going to call them to actually live this out. But if you are a Christian, this is your new reality. You are unified with one another under one kingdom, in one body, and one family, professing one faith. Whether you like it or not, you are in union with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's talking this to, to he's saying this to Jews and Gentiles who are fighting and arguing and, and, and have different cultures and backgrounds. He's like, hey, look, this supersedes all of this. Let's unite under our commonality in Christ. Yeah, and you're reading a different translation. I'm not sure which one you're using, but mine, it says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Uh, and, and that word endeavoring, that Greek word, is a really strong word about planning— being energetic, mm-hmm. active, exerting yeah. yourself, um, straining every muscle, every nerve, um, making every effort. And the point is that um, unity, it, it doesn't come easily. Yeah. You have to work at it. You do. And and so it's, it's something that we have a responsibility to work for, and we're going to talk about that mm-hmm. after we get in a little bit. How do we do it? But— so that it doesn't feel so heavy mm-hmm. as it is the unity in the Spirit. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, y'all, if we'll do our part, and we'll talk about what our part is in just a minute, we have the promise that the giver of unity, the Holy Spirit, will do his part, and he will unite us. If we'll just do our part, he will cause us to have that sense of solidarity and oneness. That's right. Yeah, I think that's important to note that Oftentimes, we, we kind of talk about our responsibility as Christians, but we want to make sure we never miss or separate that from God's grace, that it is impossible if God's not in it. And of course, He is. 
Um, here's one that's really good. Without unity in the church, it's impossible to grow into full maturity. I'm not going to read this, um, but it's Ephesians 4, 9 through 16, so kind of following up. But this is where Paul mentions um, that that God has given us, you know, apostles and prophets, 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 evangelists, pastors, teachers. Um, he's giving them to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we may grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So his point is this, that God has given these sort of speaking ministries, these teaching ministries, these shepherding ministries to empower God's people to do the work of ministry. And then when it's when all of God's people are doing ministry, that they're built up into the maturity and the fullness of Jesus Christ. Well, so, and, he, and he actually says, till we come to the unity yeah, of the faith. Exactly. It is literally impossible to grow into further unity and to grow into maturity without the body of Christ, the whole body, not just a really uh, charismatic pastor or not just one or two people. Paul's like, we need one another. That's how we grow in Christ. Exactly. And then finally, we see Philippians chapter 2, um, 1 through 11, and this is our growing in unity stemming from Christ's humility. So let's see what Paul encourages us to do, and then uh, we'll, we'll quickly show how it stems from his humility. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Um, so here's what he says. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if we're encouraged by Christ, if there's any consolation or comfort in love and loving one another in the love of Christ, if there's any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, there we go again, sharing the same Holy Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, then make Paul's joy complete. Unity brings joy. And then in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. So it's all grounded in who Christ is, grounded in our unity. And then in verses 5 through 11, he basically talks about Christ being so humble that he didn't consider um, equality with God to be something to be grasped, meaning that he didn't just only have a divine nature, but he's willing to take on a human nature, lower himself to our level. Not only that, but die on a cross. Christ is so humble to bring us together in union with himself and one another that he would humble himself, and we are to follow in his path. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and it shows that, and Paul's showing there, that there are, there are benefits to unity, and that's what he's talking about. We're all encouraged in Christ. Mm -hmm. We're all consoled in his love. We have the fellowship of the Spirit. We have affection for one another. We show mercy mm -hmm. to one another when we falter and fail. And Paul said, if all of that's there, then here's how you're going to make me happy. Be be united. Yeah. And I love the terms like be like-minded, be one accord, be in one mind. Mm -hmm. That's all about unity. All yeah. those phrases are about unity and um and then, like he said, in, 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 he tells us, really, it's kind of a how, is be mm -hmm. humble and consider others more important than yourselves. And what I've learned, Evan, whether this is in marriage, whether this is in our own family, whether this is in the church, whether it's in relationships with people that I'm close to or my friends, that for us to be united, there has to be a selflessness 
and if there's going to be destruction, there'll be it'll be because of selfishness. Yeah, the, the, that's the bottom line. If you want to have unity, there has to be a, and that's what he's saying here is that Jesus selflessly sacrificed himself so that we could be saved, yeah. so that we could be united together as the body of Christ. And that's what he's trying to say is if you want that unity in your church or your marriage or whatever, you need to follow the example of Jesus instead of saying, I've got all this. You should be doing for me. I'm great. I'm mighty. I'm wonderful. Bow to me. Do what I want. Please me. You should be saying, you know what? Yeah, I am blessed. I've got a lot of things, mm-hmm. but it's not about me. It's about us. Yeah. I want us to be united. What can I do for you? That's a good like general principle. Just filter every situation. Every situation. Yeah. Exactly. And then that's you're good. actually modeling Jesus. That's good. Well, now, as, that, as that's kind of our foundation principle, let's talk about the how-to. Let's, uh, let's keep hanging out in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, because Paul gives us not only the basis, but the how-to. So I've actually just written out a list of the various kind of how-tos that he put in there. He said, thinking the same way. It's kind of being of one mind. Having the same love. So a similar, same love for one another. United in spirit, intent on one purpose, one goal. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, consider others more important than yourselves. That's another foundational rule, filter everything through. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. So if you want to know, how do I actually pursue unity? Those are some, some foundational uh, keys right there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit and humility. Consider others more important than yourselves. And everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. If we could filter every moment, every situation, every Facebook post, every conversation, everything that we do through those principles, I think that we would be a lot better off in certain situations and we could actually live in unity with one another. There's a little phrase that sometimes people use and it's called prefer my brother. You ever heard that? Mm-mm. And and somebody, you know, will say, you know, do you want there'll be an opportunity to do something and a guy will say, you know what, you go first. I'm gonna prefer my brother. In mm. other words, I'm gonna let you yeah, you do it. You be blessed. I'm gonna let you have it, and so um, th- that's what this is talking about. You know, we if you look out for only for your own interest, you're selfish. Yeah, but if you look out for your own interest and the interests of others, that's a balanced life. Mm-hmm. Is I'm going to tend to the things that I'm supposed to give. I'm going to be responsible, but um, when it th- that's for me. But when it comes to me and somebody else, then I'm going to release that and say, okay, I'm going to look out for my interest, but I also need to look out for my. My brother's interest. Mm-hmm. Keen asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? Well, he didn't think he was, but in the church, we are. Yeah. Because Jesus just said, look out for the interest mm-hmm. of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So I am my brother's keeper. Yeah. So yeah. I have to prefer my brother. I have to look out for them. And that means selfishness. And by the way, let me just say this. Um, we're talking about unity. Unity does not mean uniformity. Mm-hmm. So some That's people, good. when they have an idea of unity, they think that we should all talk the same, act the same, look the same. Have the same opinions on everything. Everything, think the same. Unity, you can have unity and diversity. As yeah. a matter of fact, I prefer unity and diversity mm-hmm. rather than unity and Well, uniformity is always fake in- anyways. You, you know, I don't believe uniformity is ever going to be real. It's forced. It's forced. Yeah. And and 
then it makes you think of the Mennonites or some of these cult things your mom watches on Investigation <laughs> Discovery where they're all dressed like they're still in the 1800s yeah. and they all talk and they're brainwashed. You know, our church is diverse, and I love it. And we have people from all walks of life, all ethnicities, young, old, educated, uneducated, less educated, rich, poor. It, I love it. Mm-hmm. And yet we're united because the blood of Jesus makes us one. Mm-hmm. And I just preached um, recently about sonship and what that means and how we're adopted in the family of God. And one of those factors is that we're brothers and sisters. Yeah, We're family. Mm-hmm. And, and family, we're united in Jesus Christ. Um, another thing I want to throw in here, there's um, you and I were talking about this earlier before the podcast. There's a quote that's been out there for a long, long time, and it's always attributed to St. Augustine. Or for those of you listening, Florida Saint Augustine, <laughs> but but it's it's not written in any of his works. So even though it's credited to him, they don't know that he said it. And even the Catholic Church umpteen centuries ago can't figure it out. Yeah. But the little saying goes like this: In essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; in all things, charity. Yeah. That's a great little quote. That is. Is it in the essentials, we need to be unified. The things that we must have, the things that are the non-negotiables mm-hmm. in the Word of God, we need to be unified. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, faith in Christ alone, saved by grace through faith, the coming of Jesus Christ. Those things that are just fundamental, we can be unified. In in the non-essentials, there should be liberty. So... I'm free to have a different point of view than you. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can have, if it's a non-essential, okay? But in all things, let's make sure that we still love each other, yeah. charity. And that's a pretty good saying. Yeah, I agree. So let me say it again. In essentials, um, unity. And this will help you in your church. In non-essentials, let there be liberty. You can feel like you and I can, and we can agree to disagree. We can have different likes, Dislikes. It's okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't divide us. But we're going to do one thing in everything, essentials or non-essentials. We're going to love each other. Yeah. So that's I thought that's pretty good. That's really good. I think it's interesting how uh, there are practical ways to it, and then and then oftentimes it's more of an attitude that it's um, when it comes to the non-essentials that it's an attitude of we are going to stay unified in what we do agree with regardless. I'm going to choose to stick it out with you regardless. I'm going to choose to not insult you or attack your character or X, Y, Z, be a jerk regardless. It's very much an attitude that we process all of this through. Um, then let's let's kind of wrap up with Ephesians. Um, as we look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, Paul kind of lists off a list of things we need to put away um, that – contribute to disunity. And so here's what he tells the Ephesians. Put away lying. Put away sinning while angry. Put away stealing. Put away foul language that tears down the hearer. Put away bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting and slander, all malice. And he says, put away grieving the Holy Spirit. That in fact, when you do these things, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. So instead, if we just kind of do the opposite, instead you should speak the truth to your neighbor. You can be angry, but don't sin. You should do honest work, and you should share with those in need. You should speak words that actually build up the hearers instead of tearing them down. You should be kind. 
You should be compassionate, and you should forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. So I kind of made that in a little bit of a list form and, uh, and, and, and kind of messed with that. But that's essentially what Paul says in verses 17 through 32, that instead of tearing one, one another down, doing things that hurt one another, and ultimately doing things that are all about you, he just kind of flips it on its head. Get rid of those things and do only the things that build up your neighbor, and we are going to be all right. And I think, Evan, you have really just summed it up there, taking that Ephesians passage passage to, to show us that if you want unity, and this is in your marriage, in your family, you know, we're talking about unity in the church, so in your local church, and then ultimately cross the, the, the ecclesiastical aisles, and, and that we reach out, and you and I believe in that. We have, we have friends in other churches. We have pastor friends who pastor other churches or other denominations that uh, I've been in this town for 21 years, and I've got Southern Baptist friends and um, New Spring, mm-hmm. the big mega church here, Clayton King. I've known Clayton since we've known each other for 30-something years. You know, We cross those aisles. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we cross those, and um, we're all for that. You know, I, I want the unity, uh, and we reach out. But in the church, in your local church, I would say to you, if you're a member of a local church, take a go back and read Ephesians four and look at that and say, what do I need to not do, so that I'm not ever threatening the unity of our church? And then say, what do I need to do? And I really like that. Mm-hmm. You know, is I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to be if I get angry with somebody, I'm not going to sin, but I'll go to them and I'm going to talk to them about it, and I'm going to make we're going to work it out. You know, I've seen so many church people that they get upset with somebody, and instead of going to them and confronting them and talking it out and hashing it out and working it out, they'll leave. Yeah. And, and they'll do it to a pastor. And it's like, so what if you did that with your family? Every time you got mad at your family, mm-hmm. you just up, got in your car and packed your bags and left. Yeah. What, what, what do you do, go to another family and say, I'm going to join your family? <laughs> it's the only institution that we can do that where you can leave one family and join another family. Yeah. And by the way, if you – Keep going to churches, and those churches, ultimately, you just seem to have struggles with those churches just time after time after time, and after a while, you might want to go look in the mirror. Yep. <laughs> the problem right. might not be the people. The problem might be you. That's right. I think people, I think people forget this principle sometimes, that they get angry at what somebody says. They don't agree with what the pastor said in one sermon. Somebody said something insensitive to them that they probably shouldn't have said. And instead of truly viewing it as a family, because functional families, the siblings fight and insult each other and kick and scream, and the dad gets mad on vacation because he's stressed out, and mom is now upset. You know, you fight and you do all that, and then you work it out and get over it. And then you go get ice cream and you go and play putt putt and yeah. you just you, you, and you move on. Because and- love. Prevails. It prevails. It it binds you together. I think people so often, they they just look at church, and they just want to shop around, and they want it to be about them. And so they're not willing to roll up their sleeves and put in the hard work of actually loving their neighbor because they think it's all about them. And, And the reality is, I think you should stick it out with your church. Your church is going to have problems. It's going to be difficult. I'm not talking about if your pastor is preaching blatant heresy or people are, you know, the whole church is living in sin. But my gosh, people are going to say insensitive things to you everywhere. Oh, if you want to get your feelings hurt, go to church. 
People are gonna it's gonna po- happen. People are gonna post political opinions on Facebook that you think is the dumbest thing. The pastor is gonna hold a theological point that you probably disagree with somewhere along the way. But what you don't do is get up and leave and find a church that is an exact copy of you and your personal matters. You stick it out because it's family. I mean, these people disagreed. The people Paul were talking to disagreed and fought and were at each other, and he's saying, stick it out. You're unified in Christ, even if you're disunified in all these other ways, and that's enough. Well, wasn't there in one of Paul's letters two women that were at each other, and Paul basically said, you two need to work this out? And I can't remember. Probably, I, I, probably I think towards the end. The end of a, maybe Romans. Yeah, something and, like that. And he was, you know, said, you need to work this out. Yes. Um, but, but you know, there's a, one more thought I had um, back to that Ephesians passage where it says – um, encouraging, endeavoring rather to keep the unity mm-hmm. of the spirit, and I'm, I remarked about that. But the rest of the verse is really, really critical in the bond of peace. Now, a bond is something that ties or holds something together. That's right. Okay, a bond, and so he says the unity that we have in the spirit is is there because we are bound together. We are we're united by this. We're brought together by the spirit, but we're held together. By peace. Mm-hmm. So let me just say this: Don't be combative, don't be conflictive, D- don't don't be the person that's stirring up something. I- I've met people that are, they're just always negative and pointing out what they don't like in a church and what's wrong. And if you have that spirit, honestly, you need to look in the mirror and say, "Is that me?" Mm-hmm. Because and you might have, it might be learned behavior, it might be that you're carnal. It, it might be that you've got a hurt, mm-hmm. and so out of your hurt, maybe you're bitter. That's affecting your speech patterns. And people are trying to love you, and they're trying to embrace you, but you're abrasive, and you're combative, and they're having a hard time. They're wanting to be at peace with you. They're wanting to be at one with you, but you keep being – look, the only way you have unity is there has to be peace, yeah, not war. So you want to strive for the things that keep peace in the church. You know, sometimes you have to tell somebody I'm sorry even when you didn't do something wrong. Mm. I can't tell you the times I've had to do that. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. But to try to keep peace, I said, I'm, I'm and they, they And they took my apology. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I, I didn't do anything wrong. But I'm just, I'm a, and they would just take it and never say I'm sorry back when they were in the wrong. Mm. And I'm like, you dog. <laughs> in my mind, you know, I'm going, yeah. You dog, but 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 that shows me that person has the deep issues. Yeah, but you know you got to do. You sometimes you have to do what needs to be done because the devil thrives in in disunity. Mm-hmm. The devil not only thrives in it, but he strives to create disunity. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and so that's why we love each other. We talk to each other. We work things out, and as a pastor, you know, if you have a problem with the pastor, don't go talk to six other people. Don't post stuff on the internet. Call him, make an appointment, sit down with him. Yeah. Well, my pastor is unapproachable. Well, no, he isn't. Call him, make an appointment. Now he's approachable. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you talk to him and he won't budge, then you got to make a decision. Okay. I tried. Can I still love him and go here and stay under his leadership? Or, you know, he he wouldn't try to reconcile. Most pastors love their people. To death. Mm-hmm. Okay, so go talk to him, and, and you might help him. Yeah. You might actually help him. 
pastors don't, aren't perfect. They don't get everything right. But if you sit down and talk with them and do it with humility and love, uh, and you do that with other people in the church, that's how you protect the unity mm-hmm. of the body of Christ. I agree. And, and the more you are unified, the greater God will work in your church. Mm-hmm. On the day of Pentecost, they were in one mind and one accord. And God poured out the power, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit on the church. And on that very day, 3,000 people came to Jesus Christ and a major world revival broke out that turned the world upside down. It was the beginning of a revival, all because they were unified. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the key. God works in unity. Yeah. How right. good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible says. It's good. It's ple- People like being where everybody's united. Yeah. And, and it's where people want to be. If you want your church to grow, have a united church because so, people can feel it. They walk in and they can feel it. They can say, ooh, something, something's not right here. There's a, just, you just feel it. Yeah. You can feel it among people. But if people love each other and are united, oh, people say, man, I want to be part of this. Yep. This place is awesome. These people are awesome. They just love each other. And you got to make sure you love new people when they come in. Mm-hmm. Don't love your 44 or your 144 no more. You got to reach out because somebody loved you when you came in. You got to turn around, return the favor, and say, hey, come on. We'll love you. Come over. Go out to eat with us. Come yep. over to our house. And, and uh, that's how churches grow. And this is like, this is a choice. To love and to be in unity is a decision. It's not a feeling. Uh, you can't operate off of idealism where everything is just going to be just good and happy all the time and nobody's going to disagree. This is just a decision, and it's messy, and you have to roll up your sleeves and put work in, but it's what God wants is us to live together despite our differences, and that unity and that vibrancy and that that just vibe you get can be created in a church that plenty of people have had their disagreements and their whatevers, but they've chosen to stay together and to love each other anyways. And so to me, the list for just piecing out on a church should be pretty small. It should be pretty limited. Mm-hmm. So just some serious, serious things. Don't run from it. Work through it. Work through it. That's well, how God, that's what God wants. Well, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably another way I feel confident saying this, of saying you're unified. Yeah. There's unity. Exactly. And that's in John. So the same same thing there. He moves on later to say what he did in John 17 about being one. So that, that's how people see, our, man, we kill our testimony when we're, when we're divided. When you hear about a church split, never sounds good. No, that never terrible. makes anybody say, I want to go to that church. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, let's become Christians. They get along. I want to go join that church. They just had a church split. <laughs> We're there next Sunday. Let's go check it out. Yeah. I mean, it, it never helps. Yep. It, it does damage to the body of Christ. But when we love one another, that's what a testimony. Well, let's let's end like this, and we can just spend just a just a couple of minutes on it. Given our current cultural climate, our current situation, what does it mean like to choose unity? In the face of dis- disagreeing on mask policy, on the source of coronavirus, on racial tension, on political tension, on all of these things that are working to divide us, how can we make critical decisions to stay unified with church members and fellow Christians we disagree with? Everybody has an opinion, 
I have opinions. I have political opinions. I keep up with politics very well. I don't put politics in the pulpit on purpose because it can be more divisive and do more harm than it does good. It mm-hmm. creates camps. So I'm I'm for first and foremost a member of the kingdom of God before I am any political affiliation or or ideology. Mm-hmm. So that's how I I come across. So politics, we all have opinions. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you need to necessarily share it. If you share it, are you willing to pay the price of offending your brother or your sister? That's what I think you have to think about. Am I willing to offend my brother or my sister? Okay. Um, I I have, you and I both, we, you and I talk a lot. We're educated. The, the race issue in America is complex. Mm-hmm. It's not simple. I want to be a. I want to do a pun right here and say it's not just black and white. Isn't that terrible? Oh, That's gosh. just a terrible pun. Oh, it gosh. is black and white, but it's not black and white. Uh, I'm sorry. It's my punished mind. <laughs> I can't help it, can I? Um, oh, it's complex, isn't yeah. it? It's very complex. And some people have these simple one thoughts they have. Mm-hmm. It's not fair because it is complex. Whether you're black, white, Asian, Latino, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. The, racism is complex. Okay, and and so I have complex thoughts. I think there are multiple issues that need to be addressed. But am I willing to say those things to a black brother or sister and bring that up? Am I willing to do it? Well, if I am, am I wanting to do it because I want to make a point? Mm, That's good. Or do I want to do it because I want to have a conversation with them and hear what they have to say and maybe learn yeah. Because sometimes it's not about the facts and the data. Maybe I just need to listen to their experience and their heart. They're not coming from data. Mm-hmm. They're coming from a place where they've been called racial racial slurs and they've experienced it firsthand. Well, that's a whole different thing now because you're talking about your your heart more, you know, not and they're maybe intelligent and they understand, but there's a heart issue there that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Is my end goal real I mean really unity with my brother and sister or to convert them and be right? Yeah. Exactly, and and we have a black pastor on our staff, Pastor Terrence, who was on yeah, one of our podcasts a couple of weeks, just ago. a couple of weeks ago. And, we, and I love Terrence. Terrence is like a brother to me. I mean, I love Terrence and Deidre and Isaac. They're just, I mean, they, the guy's wonderful precious people, to me. Yeah. Wonderful. He's just, I'm so glad he's on staff. I mean, he's one of us. He's family. Um, and I, we were in staff meeting the other day, and I asked Terrence. I said, Terrence, can I ask you? Can we talk about just? I want to hear your heart. Tell mm-hmm. me about your point of view. And we talked. Well, then later we had another meeting. He came back and asked me. He said, "Let me ask you some your thoughts on some things." And we, we, and I was very respectful. And I try, you know what I did? I tried to think about what even what I said to Terrence is. He's a black man, and and he told me he's experienced some. He told me some stories that were brutal. Mm-hmm. You, you remember? Yeah, you heard them? Yeah. It was brutal. I thought that was he was thirteen. Yeah, just horrible. I'm not going to tell him on this podcast, but it was horrible. And I thought if that happened to me, that would that could scar you and really yeah. affect you, and and yet. Terrence is a very intelligent man. He's a gift. He's a man of God. He's anointed and, and preaches. He's powerful. And so we just sat and we talked about it. So sometimes we need to listen mm-hmm. as much as we want to talk, but most of all, we need to care. Yeah. And we need to, we need to care, yeah. especially when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, you talk about the mask. We, we, I have not mandated mask. Um, we've encouraged mass. 
at least at this stage of the time of this recording, and I don't plan to do masks. I will do something else before I mandate masks. But we've encouraged people mm-hmm. to wear them, and if you you know if you want to wear, them, if somebody does it, it's not going to you know it's not the end of the world. I don't, I don't, it's not an issue for me. But I've had somebody who, because of health issues and whatnot, job related, they wore a mask, and I, we had a few people that kind of why are you wearing a mask? You know, because mm-hmm. they they. They don't think it's as big a deal, and and it made this person it uncomfortable. Ostracizes them, yeah. Right, it made this person uncomfortable. Yeah. And if I could have known, if I'd have had a list of those two or three people, and I could get them, I would say, hey, you know, when you said to so and so, you just kind of question them. Did you know you made them feel uncomfortable that they have to wear a mask? And maybe you think about mm-hmm. being a little more sensitive to the fact that hey, if you want to wear a mask, in non-essentials, liberty. Yeah. It's liberty. I don't think I have to wear a mask, but you have to wear a mask. Hey, hey, you do what you want to do. I still love you. It's not a big deal. And so sometimes, again, it gets you got to get out of your own life, get out of your own skin, get out of your own world, and get into somebody else's world. Skin. And that's the, probably yeah. the best. Because isn't that what Jesus did? Yeah. He left glory. He left. He d- 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 kept his divinity but added humanity, robed the flesh, came down here and walked among us. The Word became flesh and lived among us and got into our world. Yeah, I agree. I would say as as far as practical advice goes, really what you're saying is nuance, that here's the reality, that if you want to have a conversation about race, about mass, about politics, don't do it on Facebook. Do it over lunch. Yes. Because Facebook, what you're going to do is you're going to post an article or post some long paragraph that's going to be taken wrong. You're going to start a fight in the comment section. Everybody is way more confident and cocky and arrogant behind a keyboard than you are in person, and you don't have to listen to anybody else. You don't have to. But, man, when you go out to lunch with somebody, which this, to me, honestly, shows that you don't want to just prove a point. You actually care to learn. Um, you're not going to start yelling at them. You're not going to call them names. You're not going to get all I've seen people. I've seen cocky. Pe- like, <laughs> I've seen people who claim to be Christians just get going be- off. Start using profanity. You can't do that. I, I, so I went to. But lunch. you shouldn't be using profanity. By the yeah, way, I don't know why either, this yeah. thing is happening in Christian America that we have somehow made excuses that if you're born again, you can just damn everything and everything else. And you look, don't do that. Yeah. It does Sorry, not the preacher's help. coming out of me. Okay, just don't do that. <laughs> You have a season your words yeah. with grace. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. I'm in a preacher mode right now. Okay. All right. I was just talking about, like, I went to a friend. I, I went to lunch with a friend, like, a few weeks ago that we already knew we disagreed politically. But it's it's actually, since high school, it's never been an issue because we, we've always chosen to respect one another. And I think here is the key, and I think this is the key for everybody, he, and he's not even a professed Christian, but always assume that the person you're talking to has good intentions, especially when it comes with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. When you place predetermined labels on folks and about their intentions, then you don't have to listen to what they actually say. Well, I'm talking with my friend at lunch, and he disagrees with policy. I don't believe it's because he's a bad person, that he hates America, that he's stupid, X, Y, Z. I believe it's what he really thinks is the right thing to do. And so as we engage, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ, instead of going, well, they just want to give America over to the XYZs, or they don't care about health and they want people to die, or they must be racist XYZ, or we don't start from that point. We go, hey, they've got a different viewpoint. 
they have a different solution to the same problem, and I'm not going to cast them already in a negative light without hearing a word they're saying. I'm going to go ahead and assume innocence that they are coming from a good heart until proven otherwise. I think that already, not doing Facebook arguments and not already putting a label on somebody we've never even conversed with would ease some of our tensions. And what that allows us to do is walk away from a conversation, disagree with the policies, maybe even harder than we did before, and love that person through it with with no drama, nothing. Like keep that. the relationship. You know, going back to the church, they had this. They had these issues in the first century church. There were there were people who would who they were so mature they would eat meat that was sacrificed to idols but sold in a market because they didn't have ingles they'd have these open square markets and so they would buy that meat knowing it was sacrificed but they they said idols aren't anything there's there's only one God yep. they'd cook it and eat it then you had other people who had come out of an idol background they'd they'd eat meat sacrificed to idols and they were worshiping this God well then they got saved but to them that idol still meant something yeah well then they'd see the guy who's more mature and Lord understanding. It's not just a piece of woods, you know. He'd go buy meat. Well, then they couldn't understand because they think, "Why are you eating meat offered to a, a false god? Mm-hmm. I thought you worshipped Jesus." Yeah. And they were causing conflict. Paul said, "If that's happening, go buy your meat somewhere else. Yeah. Don't offend that other brother." There is a principle there that says, "I got to prefer my brother. I got to look out. I am my brother's keeper. So I don't want to say or do anything." To anybody in my church that would cause them to sin or cause them to backslide or weaken their faith, mm-hmm. Paul said it's better for me. He said all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Sometimes right. just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. Mm-hmm. And he said, especially if it's going to affect somebody else. So I think that's what we're talking about today is if you want to keep unity in the church, especially if you're more mature in the Lord, you should be able to say, you know what, I don't. I'm, I'm going to look out because I'm looking out for them. Yeah, I want them to grow in the Lord. This is my brother, my sister. They're young in the Lord. They're or they're they don't know as much or whatever. Their background. They're still working through things. I want to help them. Yep. And I think that's how you put your brother before you. It's, it gets back to that selflessness. That's how you keep unity in the church. That's good. Well, look, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Go ahead and give us a rating. Uh, review, share this with somebody that needs to hear it, that needs to hear about unity in the church. And we will see you in a couple of weeks.